You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dad Well, training camp is back. They had the shoulder pads on, so that's a little bit of something. But it was defense, defense, defense. And again, we're left to sit here and go, yay, but also, oh man, that sucks. But before we get to that, uh, a little bit of news and notes around the NFL and in the NFC North. I don't have anything on the Vikings because for some reason they like to practice at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon because they're stupid. Everybody, like 31 teams practice at like 10. Vikings are like, nah, we're going to sleep in. That's why your team sucks. Anyways, uh, NFC North notes also. First of all, the big news, Mr. Deshaun Watson got a six-game suspension. Don't really have any comment outside of that. No point in rehashing it. It's kind of what we all expected it to be. So I'm not going to sit here and like flail my arms around and say, this is egregious. I can't believe it because, I mean, it's been like a year of knowing how this was going to go. So anyways, otherwise, Pat Mahomes ended up tweaking his ankle. I guess he's doing okay, but he had to go off, go to the medical tent, came back out. All I'm waiting for is confirmation that he did it while trying to practice a backwards pass so I can never stop laughing at him. Uh, Michael Thomas is back with the Saints. Had our first, uh, at least that I'm aware of, MVS sighting. There was a uh, note in Chiefs camp. Valdez Scantling just used his arm length to extend and attack the ball away from McDuffie on a one-on-one, which is kind of hilarious that McDuffie is, you know, a Packer and stuff. Uh, Traylon Burks is now getting some work out of the backfield. Not super interesting to uh, the Packers season because it's, you know, AFC, Titans, all that. But I thought it would be interesting to Packers fans, especially those that were interested in Traylon Burks. Because that's something that we've all been, well, not all, but a lot of people are here saying, hey, put Amari in the backfield, blah, blah, blah. Well, Traylon, I guess, is that guy. Um, otherwise, Tua continues to dominate. Every single note I've seen on Tua is that he completes deep passes to all his speedy wide receivers, and I just I just, I just, just continue to uh, think that that could be a thing. Um, otherwise, it's all just bad notes, which I love bad notes for other teams because it's not us. Um, the New York Jets, who we will be playing at some point, just complete garbage still. The idea that they're going to have some kind of a bounce back, which I'm sure a lot of that has to do with, well, they got this great head coach who's going to turn things around and everything, even though he made it worse when he got there. But it's all just bad notes. Um, quarterback can't do anything. Offense can't move the ball. Just a complete disaster. So no sign of a turnaround for that team yet, which is great. Uh, Washington. Similarly, got a note on Carson Wentz, says he threw back-to-back picks, first to Kendall Fuller, then to Cameron Curl. On the second one, Wentz overthrew 6'5", tight end Cole Turner before Cole, uh, Curl caught it. Next play, Percy Butler in- intercepted Tyler Heineke. So <laughs> Washington, not really on my radar as of right now as a team that's going to compete for that NFC title. Uh, Patriots quarterback Mack also having a hard time this year, been kind of wondering if he was going to have that second-year breakout. As a result, the Patriots are going to be good again. Not quite so much. Poor finish to Saturday's practice for Mac Jones, and now a rough start to his uh, to this one. His first pass in 11-11 was picked off by Terrence Mitchell, tried to hit Tyquan Thornton on a crossing route. And then finally, another team that I've been curious about, and a lot of it has to do with their quarterback, like most teams, is the Eagles and whether or not they're going to be a formidable opponent this year, but um, doesn't seem to be the case thus far. It says, practice is over. Hertz was okay. Once again, the passing offense was mostly short to intermediate passes. Uh, the one or two deep shots did not go well. 
Then Nick Sirianni, the coach, talked about Jalen Hurts' three interceptions that he's had in camp so far. He says the first two were bad decisions, one bad in the pocket, one bad out of the pocket, and the third one was just a bad throw. So things not going well over there either. NFC North, again, nothing new on the Vikings because they haven't um, quite gotten started yet. But um, Aiden Hutchinson for the Lions apparently was singing Billie Jean in the locker room, so we can all look forward to that once Hard Knocks uh, airs that episode. Uh, Penny Sewell, the offensive lineman, apparently would just absolutely dominated the day, including against Aiden Hutchinson. Apparently on a screenplay, Sewell also got out in space and absolutely annihilated Jeff Okuda. Speaking of, that competition is still wide open. Jeff Okuda has not secured the number two cornerback spot yet. So at, to my caller for Packernet After Dark talking about Jeff Okuda and how great he's going to be, just a reminder, he has not won the number two job against a safety. Head coach Campbell says that Will Harris is very much in play at cornerback. He's going to compete for the starting spot with Jeff Okuda. Quote, may the best man win, Campbell said. Apparently Aaron Glenn sat them both down, told them they'll be competing for the job opposite Amani Aruwarie. They both know the deal, and that's what it is. As for the Bears, a lot of the same. They they were supposed to have pads today and then came out and didn't have pads on, so I don't know what that was all about. Uh, Still no Tevin Jenkins. That seems to be, I don't want to say spiraling because nothing's really happening, but it's certainly seeming like an issue. Uh, There was was somebody who had posted something in regards to his pre-draft profile about him maybe having some issues as far as his passion for the game. Somebody else wrote in an article, Tevin Jenkins is severely trending in the wrong direction. No player on this roster needed to prove more during these practice sessions. His unavailability is disconcerting. Matt Eberflus says that Tevin Jenkins is still day-to-day. Fourth consecutive practice, he was not out there. Similarly, like pretty much every other team, apparently, uh, the offense, not good. He says, if Luke Getze was upset about uh, the offense the other day, I can't imagine he's going to be happy with this two-minute drill. Details, execution, still things they are struggling with, talking about the offense. Uh, Starting slot cornerback Thomas Graham is still out with a hamstring injury. He says he's going to be out for a little bit longer yet. And it does look like Michael Schofield, the uh, uh, free agent that they picked up, is starting to get more reps with the ones at right guard. So that he probably is going to end up winning that job. Just like Riley Reef is probably going to end up being the left tackle, which sucks because they're obviously better football players than what they had. I was holding out hope that somehow they would just not win the job, but uh, looks like they will, which is going to improve the Bears' offensive line a little bit, but whatever. They're still a pretty bad unit. As for day, what is this, five? Yep, Packers training camp day five. Um, again, first time the pads went on, not completely, but, you know, somewhat, I guess. Heard a little bit from Matt LaFleur prior to. He mentioned Sammy Watkins would be out there. Didn't see a ton from Sammy, at least as far as the uh, notes go, but he was out there, caught some passes and whatnot. Almost caught a touchdown? I'm not really sure. It's kind of hard to figure out what they're talking about sometimes. Um, He mentioned that 90% of the Packers' installation phase will be concluded by this week's end, and also talking about the fact that there's five days in a row for um, training camp this year, or this week. So because it's going to be a little bit more intensive, he's going to take a little bit off from, I guess, yesterday, today for me, Monday's training camp. Tuesday's just full go. Wednesday will be a jog-through um, Thursday, I think is, is another full go. And then Friday is family night, which is always fun. He goes on to say, it's going to be a little bit of a grind on our guys. As far as the injury reports, nothing new. Again, Sammy Watkins is, uh, officially out and, and doing stuff with the team today. Um, but nobody was added to the list and nobody was removed to the list. So the total list as of right now, 
Malik Taylor, shoulder injury. Um, Watson, knee is on pup. Nixon, groin injury on NFI. Hill, knee injury pup. Bakhtiari, knee pup. Jenkins, knee pup. Tunyon, knee pup. Uh, Kylan Hill, Robert Tunyon, and Malik Taylor were seen rehabbing on the side. Kind of getting that work in. A couple notes here from the play-by-play. Again, I do this in uh, order of when it happened because it just, you know, kind of gives a better understanding of things. It gets a little confusing when you go player by player because you're kind of jumping backwards and forwards. And some of the plays are, you know, uh, right out of the gate, kind of confusing situation. The first note I got was Aaron Nagler saying, Zach Tom at right tackle with the ones. Every other person that tweeted about the offensive line said that it was Royce Newman playing right tackle with the ones. So I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, Andy Herman says, from left to right, Yash, John Runyon, Myers, Hanson, and Newman will be the starters for today. Um, Marquez Eversall says, Yash, Runyon, Myers, Hanson, Newman are the starting offensive linemen, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody else said that that was the case. So I don't know if he went out there for a second and then they changed it or if Aaron Nagler was just incorrect. I don't know. Uh, Wes Hotkowitz says, first day on offensive line, defensive line, one-on-one. Strong showing for Devontae Wyatt getting a chance to really see his power. Meanwhile, Rashawn Gary is Rashawn Gary. In other words, he's destroying everybody. Uh, Quay Walker sighting. I was kind of hoping that with the shoulder pads going on, we'd see a little bit of him. Uh, It says, Quay Walker making his presence known early and on run play, uh, on a run play, quickly to the outside for a stud, a good run fit by Stokes as well. Packers defensive front continuing to get an impressive push in first day with shoulder pads. Dean Lowry just got behind the line to bat an Aaron Rodgers pass. The pass rush has been quick and shorts during early portion of camp. And that is a theme that will continue for the rest of the day. Free play for the offense looked like Kenny jump, but Lazard and 12 not on the same page. Uh, Lazard cut off his route. Rodgers was expecting him to keep going. Jerron Reed forces a pressure on Rodgers incomplete. So that's sort of the... I mentioned that it's always hard to tell if it's the offense or defense that's doing it or which player was was it somebody's good or somebody's bad. It sounds like it's a combination of both, but one thing we know 100% is that the offense was bad. I don't know to what degree the defense was just dominant. Maybe it's just it goes hand in hand. You know, when you got a lot of pressure, you got a lot of stuff in your face, the corners are just not giving you any room, things kind of spiral a little bit. Um, you know, false starts and bad snaps, which there were several again, tend to happen when you're kind of getting destroyed up front and you're you're trying to focus on the guy in front of you as opposed to the job you have to do first. But uh, we know for a fact the offense was really struggling, and it seems as though the defense was really flying around. But um, we got false start for John Runyon. Heck of a job by Tipa holding the point of attack on a run by Jones. Mercedes was blocking him. That's no easy task. It's a real good note for Tipa, too, because, you know, at 230 pounds, he's a small guy, you know. So the obvious concern is, is he going to be able to hold up as a run defender? But if he can check that box, then there's really no limit to what he can or can't do. Next note says, Tipa follows it up with a pressure off the edge. Possible he may have been pushed past the quarterback, but his presence was felt. Nagler now says, Tom at left tackle with the twos, no rest for the rookie. That's assuming he was ever at right tackle with the ones, or if this is even him. Maybe Aaron's got the wrong number for Tom. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Some confusion up front on the Packers' third-team offensive line, but Heflin shoots through for a stop. Cole Schneider comes up gimpy after an inside run play. He's out for now. Jerron Reed eats up some space. Good gap fit for the number one uh, versus the number one run. I'm guessing that's number one rushing unit or something. By the way, the most of the good notes, and it's it's all the defense and everything, but it's it's a lot of just the defensive front, defensive tackles and edge rushers, and and it may have something to do with the offensive line just having a terrible day. But that is. 
that was the major discrepancy of the day is the offensive line versus the defensive line. After that Jerron Reed note, it says, and just shot in again. Intriguing piece could free up Clark quite a bit. So Jerron Reed on back-to-back plays just shoots into the backfield. Uh, run defense has been legit so far. Jerron Reed with a stop at the line. Isaiah McDuffie, Shamar Jean Charles, and Rico Gafford with a few random reps with the ones already. Now Ladarius Hamilton burst through the line for a run stop. Love seeing uh, Tipa and Hamilton showing up. So again, th- these two guys are seemingly so locked into that three and four spot, it's, it's, it doesn't even seem like it's a close competition. You got Preston and Rashawn, massive gap. Tipa and Hamilton, massive gap. Garvin, Ramsey, and, and, and Agbar. Love with a bullet over the middle to Toure for 12. Quick read off play action. Beautiful rep by Zach Tom and run blocking versus Devontae Wyatt. Got inside and completely sealed him. Burkick, the backup kicker, goes 3 for 3, 45 left hash, 47 left hash, 49 right hash. Coco was the snapper. By the way, I have not heard a single note about Wirtel. I don't know if he's even getting opportunities or what, but every single time I've heard anything about snapping, it's Coco. Uh, Lowry had a career-high four batted passes last year. Reed sure sounds like he's having a nice start to camp. Rookie Romeo Dobbs drops a high pass from Aaron Rodgers on a left crosser. He is human. That's the second time, by the way, we've seen the humanity, so... We know that's two drops in camp so far. Um, again, it was supposedly a pretty bad pass. The first one he dropped, too, was supposedly a pretty bad pass, but still um, not impossible. Also, I, don't th- I think that's the last note for Romeo today. So this is the first day with pads going on that we don't hear from Romeo at all. Now, again, offensive line's getting obliterated. Quarterbacks are getting uncomfortable. Passes are not going to go quite as well. That's hurting all the receivers. But it's also possible that with the pads going on, maybe the corners felt a little bit more greenlit to be a little bit more physical. I don't know. It shouldn't really make a difference. Again, wide receiver corner don't care as much about pads as I do, for example, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, running backs, all that stuff. But, you know, again, maybe you just get the pads on, you start feeling a little bit more physical. And that obviously is going to work, for example, in Stokes's favor, who's a, a more big, physical, violent player, whereas Romeo's, I think his one knock is maybe trying to get guys off of him. Defensive line has eaten up the Packers' offensive line today. Manette skies a ball over Love's head on a shotgun snap. Dropped by Lazard in the end zone in the red zone drill. Nice pass rush by Preston. Watkins touchdown from Rodgers, but as Aaron Nagler wisely points out, probably would have been a sack first. That's sort of the disputed one, because it sounds like later they're saying he didn't catch it. But we're just going to move on for now, and we'll revisit that. TJ Slayton and the defensive line, uh, some push on third and goal from the four, probably a sack. Rodgers finds Watkins for a touchdown. Jair on Sammy Watkins. Sammy says he caught it. Jair says no. The debate of what a catch is continues. Summary of this red zone period, incomplete to Dobbs on a crossing route. Throw was a bit high. Dobbs could have had it. Lazard dropped a slant in the end zone. Rodgers found Watkins late in the end zone if he wasn't sacked. But then you got Matt Schneidman, recap of that exact same series, says, rough red zone period for the offense, drops for Romeo Dobbs and Alan Lazard, consistent pocket push, and a nice pass breakup for Jair Alexander on a pass intended for Sammy Watkins in the end zone. They decide to run it, and period finishes with a draw to Aaron Jones for a touchdown. So apparently they called it back. I don't know how it could be a pass breakup. Like it didn't even get into his hands, or maybe it got broken up after and I don't know, whatever. So Jair actually broke that up. It was not a touchdown, but Aaron Jones carries it in for a touchdown on the next play. Amari Rogers on a punt return gets vertical right away for a nice gain. Lots of horizontal running last season. Love to see the change there. That's great for a lot of reasons. The fact that there was anywhere for him to even run is a nice change of pace for our uh, special teams unit. Granted, it's also Packers that are supposed to be covering that, but um, also that Amari found it, got vertical quickly and got some yardage. That's nice to see. 
Nice rep by Innis Gaines as a gunner on punt coverage. This has been your special teams update for August 1st, 2022. Pat O'Donnell just crushed a punt and there was some ooze to be heard. He's been impressive so far. Pat O'Donnell just hit a punt that looked like the shot out of the original Superman where young Clark Kent is frustrated that he has to keep his powers hidden. I'm sure you can guess that was Aaron Nagler that <laughs> gave that very nerdy update. Matt Schneidman says, first fight of camp is going to be Rich Bisaccia and someone on special teams. Kids covering their ears all across Green Bay. I'd be all right with that. As a jammer on punt return, Innis Gaines just jammed Devontae Vaughn into the upside down. Gaines was jacked up after the play. Number two offense in move the ball period. Taylor, two carries for six yards. Love incomplete to Daphne. Ball was thrown behind him. So three and out, basically. Two runs for three yards apiece. Bad ball by Love. Punt presumably. Uh, defense giving no quarter and move the ball. Number one offense up. Jones runs for three yards. Play action pass to Lazard goes incomplete. Gary would have had a sack for sure. And then incomplete to Winfrey. Looked like Yash moved early too. Devondre Campbell just stood up Aaron Jones in the hole. Great read by the All-Pro. Defense is so fast, they're making things so difficult for the offense. Run fits, pressure, coverage, rallying to the ball, speed. It's all evident. Fun to watch. Rashawn Gary would have sent Aaron Rodgers to Manitowoc during that move-the-ball period if he was allowed to hit the quarterback. From offensive line to pass catchers, pretty sloppy practice for the Packers' offense. Romeo Dobbs, Alan Lazard, and Dominique Daphne, with Jordan Love, have each dropped a pass. Multiple false starts also. Tough day all around for the starting offense so far. Nothing coming easy. Partly the defense being all over it, partly shooting themselves in the foot. Another high snap by Minette. That's his second of practice, this one over the head of Etling. Akeel Byer showing up with a pressure off the edge, which is interesting that they're putting him on the edge, but there you go. Nice open field catch by AJ from Aaron Rodgers. It's hilarious because let, let me read this in sequence. So there's the high snap by Manette. The very next tweet says, uh, it's Aaron Nagler saying, because I've tweeted this, Rodgers will hit a bomb soon. He was talking about how it was a tough day for the offense and everything else. Very next series of tweets. Nice open field catch by AJ Dillon from Rodgers. Rodgers to Dillon for a big pickup and move the ball drills. Dillon had a very nice start to camp. Rodgers with a nice pass to an open Dillon down the seam. 28 made a nice adjustment to catch it in stride. Phenomenal adjustment by A.J. Dillon on a throw down the seam from Rodgers. Uh, was that James, Lo- James Lofton? So, exactly correct. <laughs> couple nice back-to-back plays for the number one offense. Rodgers to Dillon for about 20 yards, then hit Winfrey on the next play on an inbreaker for about 12. Rashawn Gary just ran into the number two defensive huddle to fire them up. The leadership from 52 is real. Defense responds by giving nowhere for love to throw. You can just kind of feel that. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just the intensity of the defense throughout. They knew that they were dominating. And, And the point, the really important part is, and you've heard all the defenders talk about this, is consistency. That's the most important thing. In other words, don't take your foot off the gas. They've been dominating this entire practice. Practice is almost over, and Rashawn Gary runs over to the number two defense, gets them fired up. Why? Because we're not done yet. Keep it going. I want the entire practice to just be miserable for the offense, and they did. Burkett goes two of three in his next set of field goals, missed way left from 46, then hits 50 and 52. Tipa and Hamilton just combined for a pressure and two-minute drill against the ones. Great day for both of those guys. Darnell Savage with a diving pass breakup in red zone. And then here's Eversall with a summary of the number one offense two-minute drill. A couple of quick hitters to Winfrey and Daphne, then timeout. Watkins for 12 yards over the middle, timeout. Lazard sideline for eight, tight window versus Stokes. DeGuara for 20 up the seam, clock. Savage pass breakup on second down. 
Amos jumped the next pass, almost had a pick, but dropped it on third down. They settled for a field goal. So the offense was able to get things moving, but you had two big plays by the safeties with a pass, two pass breakups back to back. Um, and because they clocked it, it started at second down. So second down pass breakup, third down pass breakup, and they had to settle for a field goal. 28 yards uh, was the field goal, and it was good. The twos go out for two minute and right out of the gate, Rico Gafford with a pass deflection. So that's three plays in a row with a pass deflection. Savage, Amos, and then Rico Gafford starts the twos with pass deflections. The very next play after Gafford has that pass breakup, it says Gafford is right on Toure and stops him inbounds for a very short gain. The clock continues to tick. Vernon Scott, game-winning pick in two-minute drill, an awful decision from Love. So the problem is Jordan Love really struggled on that one. According to Dave Schroeder, he says, Packers training camp, two-minute drill. Rodgers leads first-team offense to a field goal to win. Love throws an interception on the third uh, play of his two-minute drill, and it says, and each of his three passes were dangerous. Two could have been intercepted. Matt Schneidman continues, bad three-play sequence from Jordan Love in two minutes, two throws behind his receiver on short throws to the right sideline. Then Vernon Scott easily picks him off over the middle on a th- uh, third throw. But they did add the Rodgers actually lucked out by getting a field goal because his pass also should have been picked. I, I also would like to just reiterate... Um, how fortunate we are. Packer fans have a lot of cool things. Fans, stadium, history, quarterbacks, whatever. Just down the line, Packers have some really awesome things. The um, the coverage of the team, whether that be writers, reporters, podcasters, whatever, it's it's kind of unparalleled. I'm trying to I'm looking at the Vikings right now, and I'm following all their reporters waiting for updates. The special teams coordinator is doing a live press conference right now. If, if anybody, special teams coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach, whatever, does a presser, all the people that follow this, as well as just every random person out there is going to be quote tweeting every single thing the guy says. I cannot find a single update. They're talking about nonsense on uh, Vikings Twitter right now as their coaches are out doing, doing interviews, doing press conferences. Lions? I don't know. I, 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 I don't even know too many Lions guys, but there's if you put a list together of people on Twitter to follow that cover the Detroit Lions, you'll get about three updates a week. They don't talk about any the, training camp from start to finish. I, I, there's, there's no tweets. There's no updates. Just somebody posting a article to some paid website where they're like, here's what happened today. And that's, that's it. That's all you really get from them. The Bears are a little bit better. They got some people that do a little bit more play-by-play and, and kind of covering some stuff, but still not even close to on par with what we have here as far as people covering the team. Anyways, it's a good spot to take a break. Before we do that, though, make absolutely sure you check out Pristine Auction. Very excited to be working with them once again. The most trusted sports memorabilia auction site anywhere online. They've got fantastic deals that you can buy on there. Some of these things are starting at just a dollar. Over a thousand autographed items that are available. Every single item comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Couple of perks you need to know about though. Number one, when you go over to Pristine Auction, use promo code ROGERS. When you use promo code ROGERS, R O D G E R S, you're going to get $10 off your first item. That isn't all though. When you use that same promo code, you're not just getting $10 off, you're getting entered into a giveaway to win a signed Quay Walker jersey. Am I going to sign up with my own promo code? I don't know. Probably not because it's a conflict of interest. Do I want to? Yes. 
<laughs> do I really want a signed Quay Walker jersey? Yes, I do. But head over to pristineauction.com, use promo code ROGERS, and you get all the fun little perks. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. So one of the things I wanted to point out, I was going over some other different camps and whatnot and how everybody's doing. Um, one of the things I noticed or saw that I thought was kind of interesting as we look at other teams that we have to be concerned about is Tampa Bay. We know that Tampa Bay lost their center. Uh, it doesn't look like a good situation. But one of the interesting things that was noted on here, apparently his entire job, this is Thomas Emmerich, um, examining NFL offensive line continuity. Seems like a project that you would do once that would take like a day and then you would do something else. But I guess that's his whole thing. Um, he looked at all 32 teams. Uh, how many guys are coming back? In other words, Coach Hahn has talked about this before, right? The importance of the same five guys working together because working together as a unit is an important part of, of having an offensive line and whatnot. So continuity, that is the same five guys working together again, is important. Tampa Bay in 2021 had five out of five guys returning. Obviously, that is a fantastic position to be in because they're starting week one with a full season of understanding how to work together. And several of those guys, I'm sure, had worked together for many years prior to that. I know the center that went out had been in Tampa for like five, six years prior to or whatever. So I don't know the entire history, but the point is they were at the top of the list. Tampa Bay going into this year has two returning offensive linemen, and I believe it's their tackles. All three interior guys are different. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's horrible and everything's about to fall apart, but it does show a significant difference from a team that had a massive advantage going into last year, especially as far as it impacts Tom Brady, which, as we know, the offensive line for Tom Brady tends to always be very, very good. He always seems to have these guys that can hold the line for him forever. This year, it's probably not going to be that way. Wirfs and Smith on the tackles are, are the only two guys there. They've got Stinney, Hainsey, and Mason at left guard, center, and right guard. Those are the presumed interior offensive linemen. I think that's going to make a big difference. As I've said a thousand times, the only two things you can do on offense, run and pass, you can't do either without, without an offense, their ability to run the ball is going to be hindered. As a result, their ability to pass the ball, both in terms of pass blocking as well as not really having a threat of a run game, are going to cause problems. And this is a team that's been purging talent for some time now. Now, again, it doesn't mean they're bad. Shaq Mason coming over to Tampa Bay is a fantastic football player. But little by little, people just keep leaving. And they're trying to do what they did when they won the Super Bowl the first time, which is go out and just pay people to come in. So that's what they did with Shaq Mason. That's what they did with Akeem Hicks. Right? They're not even trying to make this team go based on draft picks. They're just trying to keep buying and buying and buying. And it's just going to keep getting harder and harder and harder. You know, Akeem Hicks to come in and try to replace Ndamukong Sue. Well, when you first got Ndamukong Sue, he still had a little bit left in the tank. By the time he left, there was basically nothing in the tank. And that's kind of where we're at with Akeem Hicks. He's not bad, but he's at the very tail end of his career. He's going to be 33 years old this year. It just, it just annoys me that it, it's so blatantly obvious what they're trying to do. And, and, you know, for a lot of fans, this is what they want. I don't really care about the future. I don't really care if this, the entire foundation of the franchise crumbles and if we're garbage for five years as a result of the irreversible damage that we're doing to this roster by having zero young talent anywhere. I just want you to spend maximal money overpaying for every overpriced football player with a big name that you possibly can so that I can feel good about the fact that we're, you're trying to go win a Super Bowl and that's the only thing you care about is winning a Super Bowl this year at the detriment of everything else. And yes, I'm aware they won a Super Bowl that one time, but it's just painfully stupid. 
you know, number one player on their team last year was Tom Brady. Is he going to be able to replicate his 91.7 overall grade after saying he wanted to retire? The second highest graded offensive player, Antonio Brown, he's gone. Third highest was Tristan Wirfs, who's still there. Fourth highest was Ali Marpet, who retired. Seventh best offensive player, Rob Gronkowski, he's gone. Half of your top 10 players are gone. Defensively, your third best player, Andrew Adams, is gone. He's with the Giants. Jordan Whitehead is gone. He's with the Jets. So, I mean, there's still a good football team. There's no doubt about it. But it is worth noting, especially the offensive line thing. That's that's very important. The fact that they had five guys return, all five guys return last year, and then this year only two of them are returning. A couple things I want to get to quick. I forgot to uh, get to this, but Kona reached out on Twitter says, sorry, I don't want to call on the voicemail, but I wanted to know your thoughts about how it seems that Rodgers has become much more vocal, action-oriented leader recently. I saw some notes saying that he was talking to DBs after practice. And he goes on to say, and how um, and about how he's eating lunch and talking with Romeo Dobbs. It seems like since the front office started involving him, he started doing these things that usually defer to other veterans on the team. It's crossing over to the defensive side of the ball, too. Um... I guess I don't know. I don't know if I was paying close enough attention. My, my takeaway on him not being a vocal leader is that he's not a rah-rah guy. Definitely know he's always been able to get in people's faces. Um, it's my recollection, although I could be completely wrong, that he, he's not opposed to kind of going over and pulling people aside. He's probably doing it more so now than he did in the past. It is constant. I'm seeing it even, even today. There was the same thing on... One of those, uh, one of those plays, something happened with Deguara. The play didn't really work, and so the the second team offense went out to do their thing, and he pulled Deguara aside, and he's just going over stuff with him. Um, I don't know to the degree that it's happening more than it used to. Maybe it never happened, and now it's happening more. I don't know, but um, that's just sort of my thought in terms of his vocal leadership is about not necessarily being super rah rah. Although you know he did kind of talk in the past about. You know, it's not my job to get you caught up to speed or anything like that. And, and certainly he seems to be very willing. I mean, not necessarily the quarterbacks or whatever, but I mean, he does do that. But mostly the the wide receivers and things like that when they're not working, kind of pulling them up as opposed to just saying, you suck, you need to get up to speed or I don't want you near me. So it, it does seem that way. I don't know how much more, if at all, that's become a thing. Anyways, one final thing I wanted to look at, um, it's not meant to be super negative, although that's going to kind of be how it comes across, but it's it's just meant for clarification. Again, I want to make sure that we understand things rightly. A lot of times we just kind of let hype take over, and that's kind of the way it goes. Um, I talked about Rich Bisaccia in the past and tried to kind of reel things in a little bit from the standpoint of, you know, the Raiders special teams units were really not that good. Um, but prior to that, he has had some success. I don't know that he was ever really a dominant number one overall special teams, but the, the biggest thing is experience. That's sort of the biggest one. Well, I saw Rick Goslin has uh, a bunch of special team stuff. He, he made it a website. Um, he's got a bunch of different NFL stuff, but for whatever reason, he's big on special teams. Maybe that's what he did. Seemingly that is what he did, um, in the NFL or something. I don't know. He actually has a ranking of all the special teams coordinators, which is super cool. And if there's ever an opening, this is the place that you want to go. Uh, I mentioned, I think yesterday, Darren Rizzi is the guy I was referencing for the Saints that has a really good reputation. Packer fans wanted us to go out and get him, spend all the money. The Packers said, no, we don't want to spend all that money. Now the New Orleans Saints have one of the best special teams in football, and we ended up with where we ended up. So obviously that was a major hindrance and a massive, um, I would say, failing of the Green Bay Packers to not get that deal done. Anyways, 
looking on here for our guy, Rich Bisaccia, to see where exactly he ranks in a couple things. First of all, they there's a couple different metrics. One of them is seasons. How many seasons have they been a special teams coordinator? And I assumed Rich Bisaccia would be way at the top. He's at 20. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of them that are above him. Some of them are not still in the NFL, but the guy at the top, Joe DeCamillis, 34 seasons and still going. So Rich Bisaccia has a lot of experience, um, but I have to stop saying he has more experience than anybody else because that's clearly not true. <laughs> There's quite a few guys that are special teams coordinators that uh, have a lot of experience. Um, then the other thing that they have on here, um, titles, which is how many times you have the number one special teams unit, top five and then top 10. And he's got his own way of ranking each of the special teams units. So I don't exactly know what that is. And we don't need to get in the weeds. But um, he is a special teams guy that understands special teams and created a ranking for special teams. He's looking at um, how many were number one. He has Rich Bisaccia down for zero in 20 years. How many times in 20 years did he have a top five unit? Four. How many times was he top 10? Eight. Which in all reality is not super great when you factor in 20 seasons and more than half of the time you're not even top 10, which again is just really top third. But it's whatever. You know, he's better than what we had in the past. The main thing that I'm looking at here, though, is the average. Where does he rank in terms of special teams coordinators? Number one in the NFL he actually has is Dave Taub. Uh, Number two is Joe Judge. Number three is Darren Rizzi. These are guys that get, I mean, Joe Judge had, um, you've seen these guys get head coaching positions, right? These are guys that are in league for potential head coaching jobs. But this is out of 50 special teams coaches. He has Rich Bisaccia 27th. So, Again, just given a little bit more insight into this, um, it is true that Rich Bisaccia has a massive amount of experience. And that's why I've always said it's not about him being this elite special teams coordinator. It's about him having understanding of what needs to happen. He knows what a special teams unit should look like, what the the practices should look. He's going to at least bring that baseline. He's not Rizzi or Taub, guys that have produced top five, top three units year after year after year. But he has that general understanding. And again, the other thing, and, and maybe the biggest thing, is just how much players love this guy. They, the, you know, it, it's been said by players that they'd run through a wall for him. He's, as we've heard, very, very critical, very, very hot-headed and all that stuff, but still the players just would bend over backwards for this guy. So that's, that's another major um, component to being him being here and another reason for all of us to get excited about it. Uh, discipline proper training and understanding and and proper play calls and and assignments and alignments and all that kind of stuff. Those are the things that we're going to get with Rich Bisaccia. But just to make sure we're not crossing over into the territory that we should not, Rich Bisaccia is not one of the most premier special teams coordinators out there. He never really has been. So again, not trying to be negative. I'm excited about the guy. I just want to make sure that we understand properly what we're talking about when we talk about Rich Bisaccia. But anyways, uh, I feel like I've been recording for over an hour, but uh, we're only 34 in. But that's all I got for you today. Those are the updates. Be sure to check out the Packernet Substack. I don't know that anybody's even going to be changing their positions necessarily based on what I saw, but I will go through that and update my current uh, roster. I'm planning on maybe doing a 53, but I don't know if I really want to do that quite yet. I just, I, I don't care all that much about it, I guess. But anyways, you guys have yourselves a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye.